If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We have a special episode, a special conversation today on Moms Talk Autism. So hang in. We'll be right back in just a few seconds. When you become a mom, you never imagine your child getting an autism diagnosis. It feels like your dreams have shattered, like a framed photograph falling off your mantle, exploding into a thousand pieces. But instead of trying to glue those pieces back together, This community of moms is here to help you build a new dream, a better one. So join in the conversation as us moms talk autism. Okay, so it's just two of us today, myself, Jean, on the mic, be your fabulous, well, allegedly fabulous host today, uh, along with uh, Brittany as my co-host. So just us today. So, you know, and I would say that she and I, um, we can be very, we can be very wordy, meaning like we throw a lot of vocabulary out, (laughs) a lot of vernacular. Speak for your... Speak for yourself. No way. A Absolutely lot of vernacular. Not. We will pause. Brittany is better at slowing down and being like, okay, let's define this for our audience here. We'll just check each other. It'll be fine. Just have your thesaurus ready, everyone. The best part is that we'll be the most well-behaved because that's Brittany keeps pretty much <laughs> us and anyone, yeah, any one of us in, in a good shape at any given point. So, um, so oh. today, uh, the conversation is going to be about recognizing something inside of yourself as a caregiver and advocate, like what we've noticed now being along this journey, um, that in a lot of the places that we are coming from when we are advocating for our child kind of stem from certain instances that we may have had initially along the journey. Um, and Brittany also comes with, you know, more institutional wisdom because she's has had children diagnosed at two different could almost separate on just like two different generations in a way, because when, yes, when, Austin was diagnosed, the diagnostic criteria was different than what it is now um, in the last 10 years. So that is, there's 
that sets you up for having just a completely different realm of experience. And that also can be kind of, I'm sure, and I'm hoping that you will allude to that too, how that has, that was kind of a shifting gears. Because if you had this ex- one particular experience with Austin, like walking into this with Ruby, you know, why that I'm sure those situations benefited you. But, you know, if you found yourself also kind of, maybe coming operating in the same spaces, trying to prevent some of maybe what have happened in the past. Um, Mm -hmm. For me, I know a lot of this has come into clear focus for me as a recent, because if you have been following our podcast, you may already know this, but if you don't and you're new to our podcast, one of the roles that I play as an advocate at the world at large here and, and the state that I live in, in Texas, is I... Um, family faculty for Texas Parent to Parent, and I participate in the medical training program for first and second year residents. Program is set up to, it literally is educational criteria and a uh, benchmark in these residents, pediatric residents' journey um, to learn about the medical mom journey, the what it is actually like, because they're not, once they are in a clinic, clinic clinician setting that revolving door starts and they just don't have their, their lens can kind of shrink because the time spent with said parent or caregiver or child is maybe at, can be ranging from 15 to maybe 40 minutes if I'm being generous, if you even get that amount of time, usually you're in that shorter window. And, um, that time has to be used very effectively and being able to identify in that particular provider can't be the end all be all for things. However, they can have (laughs) at times detrimental impacts and not only to our children, but to us as caregivers can change and shape the way that we approach getting things done that are needed for our children so it brought up an interesting question a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to uh, Brittany and uh, maybe Tosh too as well about this, which was like, do you think or do you remember when your trust was first broken and how much weight do you think that had on the type of parent and advocate you were for your kid? Because I'm recognizing now that that took a huge shape on me out of the gate. Right. And we're not talking about like trust as in like when you're a child and your parent promises you ice cream and then they don't follow through, trust is broken. We're talking about in reference to our children and specifically like medical experts or those who are quote autism experts, right? We're we're newly diagnosed families or we're getting a diagnosis. We're exploring the idea of autism or some kind of other special need or care or therapy that's needed. And we are given information or ex- having things explained to us by so-called experts. They are experts. <laughs> she's like, she's let's, be, let's be nice. Let's be nice. As far – I mean, they knew more than I did, right? But – but maybe that information was not conveyed or presented in a way that was, I don't know, processed properly. And it goes both ways. It's not, 
it's not wholly their fault and it's certainly not the parent's fault either. And it's definitely not the child's fault. So yeah, there's a lot to unpack, I guess. So let's kind of dig into it a little bit. So starting obviously with Austin, because that was your first step onto this journey. When do you, Mm -hmm. when do you think that you, could you give us like some landscape or scope of like what that looked like when you first started, when you experienced that and how that maybe changed things for you? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to preface this with a little disclaimer. This was 15 years ago now. Um, did not take awesome notes back then because I had no idea why one would need to do that. <laughs> and my brain was a lot younger than two. And of course, I'll just remember everything. Blah, the white matter in your brain is so, so good. <laughs> that, is, that is the biggest lie ever. Do not believe that for a second. Even if you're just telling yourself that you will not remember a thing, take a notebook or notes on your phone or something every time. Trust me. But, um, yeah, so we, um, my, my, my memories may be a little fuzzy. Doug will probably correct me at some point, (laughs) just FYI. But in essence, um, we knew things were, um, a little bit because we had an older brother, an older sibling that was two and a half years older than Austin, I could compare the two easily. I was around other children, young children all the time. I could see something was was different with Austin. Um, we went in for checkups or pediatrician, you know, regular checkups. She was the first one who said the word autism. It was very shocking. It was very um, – it was a blow. I've talked about it in my own personal episode, in my Brittany story epi- episode. And uh, – but it was handled in a way where it was it was just you need to be aware of this this is a possibility you need to we need to explore this further and i thought my pediatrician handled it as as well as one could um because she's not she was not the one who was actually going to diagnose him um but she she broke broke that um wall down at least and and gave me that information and then from there um there, there's a lot of, I don't know if it's the same for everybody, but for me, there's a numbness. Um, I feel like I'm having a bit of an out-of-body experience and um, I kind of just, my emotions shut down. That's my natural tendency is I I shut down all emotion and and work on the pragmatic. So I um, we, we got a, a diagnosis through a neurologist that was very clinical, very sterile. Um, I had never met him. And so I didn't feel, I I don't know. I I didn't feel any trust broken because there wasn't any there to begin with. I just, I I wasn't ever, I wasn't planning on seeing him again. It was just a diagnosis, um, where the trust really hit me and where my emotional barrier finally broke down was when we went and had, um, so we had a medical diagnosis through a neurologist and then we had a psychological diagnosis? Is that the correct term? What's the non-medical diagnosis? Like you have, uh, we had a psychologist diagnose him as well. So would that be? Well, those would both be medical, but but if you have- I guess the, that's medical the too. determines criteria based on eligibility. Yeah. So we had that as well. So I guess, I mean, we saw, we saw a neurologist and we also saw a 
child psychologist who also diagnosed him. So I guess those are both medical technicians. You had a second opinion. So we had a second opinion. Yeah. And that was part of the process back then. I don't, it is not, this is not the same now and it is not the same in other states and other areas. Everybody does it a little bit different, which makes it super easy for everyone to figure out. (laughs) I'm being very sarcastic. So uh, anyway, um, we went and saw this psychologist. I have never seen this person again. This was a one-time deal. She spent two hours with my child, um, over two hours. Doug and I were both there. And she was running um, diagnostic testing with him. Um, there's there's clinical testing that you can do, and it's 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 kind of a play based thing. For example, he has to put shapes in certain you know puzzle pieces. They're standardized puzzles that every it's like a kit that they use. Um, they have to put a candle in Play-Doh and pretend to blow it out. And she gives him verbal instructions, and they're very specific verbal instructions that he has to give. She has to give Austin, and if he doesn't follow those things, then he scores certain ways. Right? It's the standardized test that they give. And I was—I had seen the test before. I was a—I have a bachelor's degree in psychology. I have literally taken classes on these tests. I know what they are, and so I was sitting back, not wanting to interfere with the testing and making sure that she got an accurate score by not prompting him and not engaging with him. I thought that was what I was supposed to do. Um, I wanted it to be, you know, Austin's pure reaction. Pure raw data. Right. That's, that's what I had been trained to do literally in college. So I thought that's what it was appropriate. And it is appropriate. I still think it is. Like that's what you're supposed to do. Um, you can certainly give parent input. And I did. And I filled out bubble sheets and I did my part of it. But for that particular part, it was supposed to be about Austin. Mm-hmm. And I still, like I said, I still feel that that is, mm-hmm. that's how it should be done. So she completed the whole test. And, um, I remember she filled out some paperwork and came back to us. Austin, you know, he didn't engage very much with her. And um, for us, it was not a regression. Austin's just kind of always been this way. Um, So we uh, met, she met with us and she sat down and I remember she had a big sigh. She's kind of, okay. Like she's like preparing herself. Right. And I knew she was going to say he had uh, autism. We already, that was established at this point. Um, so that was not the shock, but she then proceeded to tell us that our child's um, growth and development was was you know was key to start young, start young, get him into therapies as soon as possible, all those kinds of things, and that if we did not engage more with our child, we were detrimentally going to um, uh, cause him to fall even further behind was essentially what she told us. She was like reprimanding me for not playing with my child. <laughs> um, and I was, I was confused because I'm like, well, we were doing a we test. Part of, I play with him all the, the time. Rubric. Like and I know that in times before, even myself having the understanding of that data myself, I knew I was even reprimanded by professionals saying, Oh no, mom. Because there's many times where those assessments have taken place in my home and I'm right. present. Yeah. They don't want your interference to change, to affect right. the numbers, to affect the raw data. Exactly. And, and so she, and, and you know what? I was in shock. I was emotional. I was sad. I was trying to 
keep a two-year-old from destroying her office. Like there's so many other factors, but that's what I processed. That's what I heard. Maybe I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. Maybe that's not what she meant or how maybe it came across more harshly than expected. But, but I think Doug would agree. She, she told us that we need to engage and play with him more. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to brush that aside. I'm not even going to touch that right now. And then she proceeded to tell us um, the um, increased divorce rate for parents who have special needs children. And I believe the number she said was like 80%. There's an 80% chance that my husband and I were going to get divorced and um, that we needed to prepare ourselves for that kind of possibility and to... um, you know, and then there was more like practical, pragmatic things pertaining specifically to Austin about ABA and getting set up. You know, you need to call this number, regional centers, blah 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 blah. blah. It was a lot of information, and some of it was very. Um, it could be taken very personally, and it could have been taken very uh, harshly. And I did. Um, I did not appreciate it. So I walked out of that office. I held it together because I am not crying in front of this stranger. I don't do that. Um, and I'm not going to reprimand her. I don't know this person at all. I have no clue like how to d- have a discussion with this person. It wasn't even really a discussion. She was relaying information and then we left. Um, and I, I will also say in her defense, she prefaced all of this with saying, I probably won't ever see you again. So I feel obligated to tell you these things. And then she just kind of info dumped, you know, because this was her one chance to talk with us. Um, so I do understand like she felt she needed to get all this out. This is her one and only opportunity to talk to us. And it, and it was, I've never spoken or seen her again, but, uh, it was very jarring and that's where probably my distrust began just because, um, I didn't know if every experience moving forward with professionals in the psychology realm or neurology or any other field pertaining to autism, where if it was going to be like this. And um, I broke down in the car. I was very upset. I was upset about the divorce information. I was upset about her thinking I didn't play with my child. I wondered if that had affected her numbers like for some reason, like if I had done the opposite of what I intended to do. It was, it was all this stuff. Now, as I continued on and we got a, the school diagnosis through the school psychologist, I met with our neurologist again repeatedly. We got set up with ABA and early interventions in my home with speech and OT, people that were in my home that were very personal, who explained things to me in layman's terms. I did my own research. All that began. I developed more of an understanding and a, a bigger, you know, more well-rounded picture of what was happening. But those two initial, like the neurologist and that psychologist, those initial two experiences were were very jarring. And I'm not saying that's going to be necessarily your case. It was not that case for Ruby. Um, but uh, and I don't know if I can really fault those caregivers, the, those those professionals for what they did. Um, I don't think they knew any different. Um, I think there's room for improvement, of course, but. Uh, and they don't know my personality either. Like, you know, there's just so many factors to it. Like another person that was probably, it could have been very, very helpful or, or something that they would have appreciated. Um, she did, she had no idea 
my experience. I could have had another sibling, you know, he could have had another sibling with autism. This could have been my second go around. She had no clue. So anyway, that so many things. So I what so many many things things. because here's what, this is what I always go to. And this is what in part of my, the, the, the medical training that I do. And I, and I, so I'll skip right part to, to this one part about of, of my story and the training that, that I do in like what the slide in the training, which is when the autism di- diagnosis is delivered, I finally, finally was around a professional that in, before he delivered his information, he made sure to get a pulse on me. So exactly what you right. just said, which is you knew nothing about me. You did not qualify who you were talking to. You did not qualify your audience. You just immediately, you, she probably, and mind you, you and Doug got married young. You've been, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. sure that her even delivering that information, I am going to guess she was biased, right? She thought she was talking to two young kids with that had young children. Quite possibly. And, and so, and you're right. She had this I have this one and done time. I'm never going to see these people ever again. And I'm going to deliver this information. And so it is a common misstep for many professionals. And I think that it goes as far as educators. They sometimes are so over eager and they know that they feel like parents should be equipped with certain information and know how, but, but there's always this gauge of like, you have to gauge the reception here and you have to gauge your audience. I think a lot of things. Now she was right. Cause even in data currently now states, you know, that 80% of families with a child with a severe disability, a special, uh, special healthcare need, those families do end in divorce. It still is a, right. Th- if that was what the stat was 15 years ago, it's still currently the stat now and 20% of families have a child with these particulars so overall have a child. So 20% of the population has a child with mm-hmm. some type of disability or special health care need. So those are facts. Now I think I myself had learned was like doing that digging because I was constantly in this investigative mode. Like, why does it, why does my life feel so much stressful? Why does my relationship feel most stressful? And I remember being able to then go, Oh, well, statistically speaking, this is why. And it was giving me all the breakdowns to all that stuff. But if they would have qualified, if she would have qualified who you are, who you are as a couple, what your faith background is, because I do think that that matters. I think those things matter when you are going to deliver information like that. So you could, yeah, she could have, so she delivered information in a more pessimistic view instead of a more of a, I'm much more optimistic because I have a better, I'm culturally being culturally competent. That's a lot of professionals just aren't culturally competent in that instance. They're not, they're not knowing that when they're filtering out that information. And so that's why even many uh, brown and black people have a completely different experience too with medical professionals because there's a complete misalignment there and not that understanding. So when my, neurologist finally delivered the information to me. He said, mom, I want to know what you think first, before I deliver what I'm about to deliver. I want you, I want you to tell me what it is that you think is going on. Exactly. 
So I told him what I thought. And I said, well, I think my child has severe receptive and expressive speech delay along with sensory processing disorder. It's like, okay, mom, you're not there yet. And I get it. And I totally understand. And those are all vile. You, you, it's very relevant why you feel that way, but I'm going to get you there. You're not there yet, but I'm going to get you there and I'm going to deliver. He validated, he validated you. And then he moved on. Uh And you know excellent. what he also didn't do? Every time I kept trying to mitigate my children, he said, oh, no, 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 no. Don't do that. He didn't want me to do anything. Don't worry he about just it. wanted, literally, we're talking about raw data. He wanted raw data. He did not, he did not want, I'm not making your child sit at this table to do my assessment. He yeah. wanted to know all natural responses in an organic fashion. And that was how he gathered the criteria and to strike up the, you know, and I, I would probably say that he's an anomaly in that fact, because many of them Mm -hmm. are very rigid and like, we have to do the testing exactly this way. Right. Yeah. And that's how they've been trained. I mean, that's how I learned. I mean, even with speech and OT, now, honestly, yeah. in some other cases, once I've got to know a lot of those professionals, they're like, okay, well, the, the rubrics say this, but when I write my treatment plan, it's going to, yes. it's going to factor in some of these nuances this and, this and this. yeah, you know, it's, I'm, I'm just doing this to meet the criteria for the insurance kind of thing. Right. Or and and a similar thing can happen with IEPs. Like we're going to write the goal this way, but it's because of this and this and this. So take that into account. But really, we're trying to get this result. Like there's lots of examples like that. And it's just that there's yeah there's certain things certain ways you have to write things for insurance or you know other purposes educational purposes that make it seem different than what it actually is going to be right. and. That's just, that's life. That's how it is for I know. But I think that, but I think for a lot of parents, it can be very frustrating because you, you have, you had the educational background and that understanding. I think for me, that was a bit of a learning curve because it was like, you know, well, he can do this, but with like 10,000 prompts, you know what I mean? And right. And, so and there aren't, yeah. and there necessarily aren't rubrics for that. There's IEPs and certain like, you know, medical goals, healthcare goals written for that being like, he will do this at 80%, blah, 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 with five or less prompts, you know, goals are written yeah. that way, but the standardized testing and the rubrics aren't done that way. And even, no, even the not. MCHAT. So that was a big thing. So for me. So when we started out, and I, I, I obviously did, and we, we've talked about this on other episodes too, about our journey for our, in our diagnostic journey, right? Because Tosh had a, she had a, you know, all-in-one shop kind of stop, all yeah. stop, whatever. So what is it? What, what is that phrase? <laughs> one-stop shop, one-stop shop, one-stop all shop. One, she had one-stop one stop shop. shop. Yeah. <laughs> she had all of the professionals in the same building, the same day, all coming in, completing their assessments, delivering every single, you know, uh, diagnosis that Jack had. We, and majority, I would say majority of our population experience it in a more 
progress, progressive way. Like, yes, the first tip off for, for Rory wasn't, a, I mean, even though Brad had thought their dad thought that Rory was autistic, I was not receptive to that idea because I had my own stigma of what I thought autism was. And I was being affirmed by other professionals at the time saying that they didn't believe my child was autistic, like very highly revered people in their field. I would have no reason not to believe them. It satisfied my own opinion at that time. However, however, why it did, if they thought the the other, if they thought the latter, I would have been more receptive to that because I was still reporting on things to them going, hey, this is happening, that's happening. And they just kept qualifying sure. it as, you know, and assigning it as mm, like typical toddler behavior, maybe a little bit more extreme than a typical toddler, but this is kind of, this could be t- typical and, and short-lived. So he, and that's something else to, to remember too. Like, yes, these are medically trained professionals who have gone to school and done all of these things, right? Obviously very intelligent. Some of them have a lot of experience. That doesn't mean that they know everything or that they're not going to make a mistake or they're not going to present material in a way. You could have two doctors say almost the exact same thing to you, but you can you can process it very, very differently and understand it very, very differently. There are so many factors involved. And I, that's not meant to be discouraging. It's just meant to keep in mind at every single step of the process. Even now, 16 years later, here I am. I am still needing to remind myself of right. those things. And I don't think so. – I think that being a more well-seasoned parent now or parents, I learned because of these experiences. Like, well, I want to qualify – I mean, I'm going to qualify my my professionals first. I'm going to also qualify, like, what is their lens? What is, what are they seeing things out of? Right. Because yeah, that, that happens a lot. So this entire time, you know, Rory is hitting physical milestones. I'm noticing a progression of sensory things that were very notable along the trajectory, even from the time, you know, he was in the hospital and we brought him home and he, um, I was making him aware of that. He hits the 12 month old mark while he had some speech and sounds developing. He did not have the expected repertoire at 12 months. He nor did he have it at 18 months, nor at two years. And then after two years, he lost some of that speech, but we moved and I didn't know how to qualify that. Right. He maintained two words, but everything else that he had was gone. And then I was working on trying to generate that speech. I was getting hints and helpful um, helpful methods and applications of things that I could do to help generate speech organically at home as the mom and from my friend who was an SLP. And then I, by we're approaching his third birthday, I'm like, I'm not getting anywhere. Nothing's happening. There's no new speech generating. There's no new sounds. I said, I think the doctor... The, the now after this is the, the pediatrician we have after the move in central Austin, he was, he was even, he was even more passive than our, you know, the original professionals that we had when we were back in Baltimore. He just like, Oh no, I've had kids in here. Boys are just late talkers. They, they just ma- magically start speaking at five and six and it'll be fine. It's like, you don't have to do anything if you don't want to kind of thing. It was just very kind of like passive way, but I was con- 
I was concerned because we were having more behaviors. We were having challenges with potty training. I didn't know that those all things correlated at that time, but I was saying, thinking maybe if there's a speech and language thing going on here, that that is the correlation, right? So I was like, well, let's just have a speech about, he's like, oh, sure, sure, sure. I'll set you up with a speech. Um, I'll set you up with a referral for, for speech. I said, okay, takes a while for us to find one. We finally find one. The person comes out, does the evaluation weeks go by. Haven't heard anything, right? I'm just waiting. I don't know what I'm waiting for. I was kind of, I guess, expecting like a phone call (laughs) or I, I was kind of in this point, I'm kind of in this assumption phase of like, what would happen next? Like what would be the customary thing to happen next after completing something like that? Nope. Sure. I got his diagnosis in the mail. And when we opened it up and it said severe expressive and receptive speech delay, we were both besides ourselves. See, the autism diagnosis was not, when we finally received that, was not traumatizing to me whatsoever. That was because for the past three years, we were told, oh, it's no big deal. He's just a late talker. He's just a late talker. And to see on paper that it said, severe was kind of like, oh my God, what was I, how could I, you know, you felt like this negligent parent, number one, number two, trust is completely broken with those, you know, you're all now all of a sudden you're just like weary of all those previous professionals and their lenses. You're like, huh, what's going on there? And then yeah, to not have the decency for even it being sent to your pediatrician for your pediatrician to call you. Like there was no conversation, nothing. You, it was several pages. I know I have it. I've hidden it away deep. I've scanned it in. It's part of whatever I have it permanently filed away as part of, you know, his initial you know diagnostic criteria. But I'm like, I didn't understand. I mean, talk about a learning curve. I mean, I was not a speech pathologist. I didn't understand any of the jargon or nomenclature in there. I understand it very well now. Like there's, it's not lost on me now, but in the very beginning, I was like, I have no idea what any of this stuff means. Had I understood that maybe I would have been a little bit more proactive as a parent. But at that point, that was it. I, and I, you know, as many times as I have done those presentations, I, didn't realize that that was kind of the moment for me. That was the moment that I decided the kind of advocate I was going to have to be. And at that point, whether right or wrong, good, bad, or indifferent, I then moving forward operated from that space of understanding, like this is, I'm going to show up this way (laughs) when I'm advocating for him educationally. I want to show up this way when I'm talking to all medical. I didn't kind of, it wasn't until the past two years that I started to adjust my sales and I started to let myself trust certain p- professionals. Um, right. And I feel like that's been life changing, not only for me and my own inner peace, you know, but it's also been life changing mm-hmm. for the relationships I've had and fostered and cultivated with these professionals. Even though I know that all can be fleeting. I still sure. have those past yeah. experiences. I know what can happen. I'm very, very well aware of what can happen. And I think I can immediately fall back to behaviors that support that in a healthy way. But I think for a while, right. 
I think for a while. And I think that my, my question to, or my, where the way I would position this to you, the listener is, is to do some reflective work. If you're kind of in this place right now is to look back Mm -hmm. or look at if I'm constantly being met with resistance and everything is adversarial, is it, is it because I'm coming from a place of, I just trust no one and no one with my kid that can be, you can continue on that pattern. We aren't here to control or say, to make you do anything different. But I would say, because you're, this is a lifetime, this is going to be, this is not, you know, this acute time period. And I think in that time, especially with the speech diagnosis, I thought that was the only thing going on with Rory. I didn't know there was anything else going on. I thought it was this acute thing. We're going to attack it. And I didn't know that this was going to take a whole new life of its own. And I think that's really, really key. Like for medical professionals and for parents, either starting off or, you know, not even sure if autism or another, you know, developmental delays in your future of some kind. Receiving life altering medical information for your child, yourself, a loved one. Um, pro- I mean, it, it just it shouldn't be handed to you on a piece of paper, and you as a layman expected <laughs> to decipher and, <laughs> and and interpret this medical jargon. Um, there are very very few cases where that is appropriate, or or you know that the person can even process the information correctly. So, um, I, I mean, even yeah. if information it's, it's just should on blood work, right? Like to me, yes. a subjective yeah. test, cause that is subjective, right? It's a subject. Those are subjective cognitive measuring rubrics that they use just like a blood, the yeah, autism, so the yeah. blood, if you actually get a, when you get blood work done, you're, you're, you don't get that in the mail. Your provider calls you and said, your blood work came back. This is what your panels show. You know, it's, right. it's, I had, so that's why, where my expectation was. And that's not where it, where it fell. And I think for, for a long time. And then here's the thing. Then you go along your journey. Other things happen. Well, then your position gets justified. See, see, can't trust these people. <laughs> can't trust this person. Can't trust that person yeah. because there was trust broken in so many other arenas, even as I went on in the very initial parts of the journey. And it was because at no fault of my own, we, there's a lot of things we didn't know. Like we're just learning. We're trying, we're just learning about each part of these things about our child, because while our ch- child may be autistic. And that happens a lot where you just get the autism diagnosis and you haven't gotten any other of the subtype diagnosis of and other um, comorbidities yet. Like maybe you don't have, you know, what are you, the different types of speech diagnosis that you can get, whether you have apraxia or, um, yeah. or even just intellectual right, disability. Any of those things. Any, yeah. Yeah. Right. Sometimes you get yeah. just that and everyone thinks everything fits under that umbrella and it doesn't, you still are still targeting specific things um, in your child, in those different profiles and domains of their particular autism. Um, 
and it may be related to autism and it may not be related to autism, maybe something else completely else different going on. So yeah, I just, it took, it took me it's a while. Just, it, it just took, it just, I'm, I'm here saying that my child is going to be 10. Yes. He was diagnosed at three and a half, well, three with speech and then autism at three and a half, uh, ADHD a year, a year after that, but we're talking about five or six years later. And I'm now just getting clear about what maybe even one of my own suffering was for a long time. And it's not going on right now. (laughs) I know it can all return, but you know, I, it's only it's whenever you're able to realize it, I just think it can only help you as an advocate. And what we want to do is always empower our parents to be the best advocate, not just because of what your child's outcome is, but what's healthy for you as the parent. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really, we, we've say this over and over and over again, and we're going to say it again because repetition is, is key. Everyone uh, trust your mama gut, trust your gut. And, and even if certain people are saying things to you, um, you know, they have their, everyone's human, everyone makes mistakes and everyone has their own level of like, even medical professionals that maybe, you know, personally, oh, it's going to be okay. That's going to be fine. Don't worry about this. They're trying to make you feel better because they're your friend or they know you personally or whatever. Like that can happen too. Like we're all colored by our experiences and our relationships with each other. And we, there's personality that has to be taken into account and it's okay to question. It's okay to wonder. It's okay to feel uneasy and maybe look for a second or a third or a fourth opinion. It's okay for you to do your own research. Um, but yeah, it, and it's okay. It is okay to trust people too. It is. Given the knowledge and everything that you have at your disposal at that time, you have to make decisions. And you have to go forward with as much confidence as you can and make choices. Now, are you going to score a thousand and, you know, I'm using bad sports terms, but are you going to, are you going to always like be perfect and hit a home run every time? No, you're not. you absolutely are not. You are going to make mistakes too. And it is okay. Um, but in the end, if you continue and it's, it's, this is something else we say. It's a muscle, right? You have to keep developing it. You have to, you're going to get stronger and better at it every single step of the way with every doctor visit and every specialist you meet or every therapist or whatever your journey ends up being, the more exposure and the more experience you have with different people in that field, the better you are going to be able to do in, in navigating that particular therapy or, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, specialty mm-hmm. of, of, um, autism. It's just, there's nothing to replace experience. There just really isn't personal experience. We can talk until the cows come home, but our experiences are not going to be your experiences. So you just need to take our information that we're sharing in our personal stories, talk to other people and then process that information and then apply what is a, what is actually applicable to your Mm -hmm. situation. If that makes sense. I think, Um, I think once I think I think another thing that that adds or enriches what you said further is why following those guts, you know, 
is knowing when to give grace to a professional and if their actions are redeemable. And I think, um, you know, I experienced that a lot with long, the education realm more so where I've had to learn that, right. Um, with some of the administrators, um, and teachers, um, more so than necessarily the medical professionals, but even those mixed in with their, the, the journey to get Rory diagnosed with ADHD that whole year, we were all kind of living in our, everybody was living in their own tunnel, right? Every single, the, the, the ABA provider, the speech, the OT, the educators were all living in their own tunnel and we weren't, and I, but the, I was living in Groundhog Day with, with Rory and I still couldn't figure out like, what are these, what are these impulses? Why can't he control them? They just kept qualifying it. Everyone was operating under the, the lane and tunnel that it was autism. And so it just wasn't hitting, wasn't even in my realm of thinking of consideration that, oh, oh, there's ADHD going on too. Right. And I, it's like, I completely shut out the seed that was planted by the neurologist a year prior that said, I think there's ADHD also going on, but I'm going to hold off on that diagnosis. But my interaction with yeah. him was so much more limited to the the daily and weekly interaction I was having with the educators and the other per, uh, medical professionals that were part of his day-to-day treatment that I wasn't even, it just was just not in the realm of thinking, right? After we finally get that. Right. And that's nobody's right. fault. It was nobody's just- fault. But it was, it was something for us to all, when it finally happened, it was something for us all to learn from at that point. Yeah. But at no point did I feel like I was, it's all your fault that we missed this and we didn't get him diagnosed sooner. Right. It was a, it was right. a, it was a lesson learned by all. It was something that just, it commonly happens all of the time. Um, right. And, you know, I had my own reflection of like, hmm, kind of just wish the neurologist would have just given the ADHD diagnosis when he sensed it, not waiting for like kind of being reactive. Right. But even that he gets grace because it's like people do, they don't want to be, I think that's part of it. It's not also the, the passiveness that a medical professional or educator may have. It's because they're maybe unintentional meaning that it's not trying to cause intentional harm. It's unintended harm, right? Yeah. They're, they're trying right. not to be overly reactive by maybe some things they may immediately see, but they don't know to immediately qualify it that way. And that, that could very much speak to their own professional experience in the past or how they were educated right. or a variety of things that all needs to be taken into account. It's it's a sticky, sticky, complicated web, everyone. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's all we can do is the best. And we all need to give each other grace and move forward and try to help our kids. And we are we're very much dealing with I have current examples of this in my life right now. We are trying to find the appropriate medications for Austin right now. He needs medication. It is not a question of whether he needs them or not. Uh, As far as like my medical team for him, we are all in agreement and no one is necessarily disagreeing about what to, what to give him. We all are, but we can't even find the thing that works for Austin, right? 
it's not even because I've got one doctor saying, give him this and another doctor saying, give him this. It's not that. We're just trying to find the right thing for him and his physiological, you know, needs. And it's, it's really, really difficult. And, um, I am having, I I feel, I feel like I'm treating him a little bit like a lab rat because I don't know what else to do. All we can do is test out medications. You can, you can have one very specific, even antibiotics, right? Uh, An antibiotic that everyone gets, you get strep throat, you get this antibiotic, like pretty standard across the board, but people react differently to it or they have a different strain of strep throat. That's higher or lower, you know, more effectively. There's just so many factors involved. And so even when you do find a medication that works well for many autistic children, it's not necessarily appropriate for my child. And so you do have to do a little bit of trial and error sometimes. Um, And this, this goes for medications. This goes for therapies. This goes for teachers. This goes for school systems. This goes for anything, right? Um, and I, I need to give myself grace because I feel really, really bad that, that this is kind of where we're at. Mm -hmm. Um, I've done all the research I can that I know of right now, currently Mm -hmm. today, um, in order to help him and to find what I think would be best for him. And I've got doctors and teams working for me that are trying to do their own research and we're coming together and we're comparing things and talking to other professionals who aren't even on my team. And it's, it's, it's still not right. And, um, and I need to be, <laughs> I'm not okay with it, but I need to get there. I need to be okay with me doing, you know, trying to, trying to figure this out for him. You're still Um, learning. It's still, we're still learning. And it's still a part of the grief as a parent. So what you're, what you're saying is kind of, so it's funny. I shared with someone yesterday about, you know, as I just had shared with you before the episode, because Rory and I, and this is also good because we did talk about another episode. So I'll let you know, guys know, is that why I had kind of boldly and confidently said, Hey, my kid only eats beige food and is still alive. Um, that's all very true overall, like cognitively healthy and all that stuff. But when I went to do his wellness check yesterday, they said he's in the fifth percentile and he has to go back again in six months. And so why it's very true. He had a growth spurt and it was like his height had increased and it could be very could be very well probable that the rest will fill out in the next six months to a year. Feeding has always been an issue, right? So that wasn't a secret. Feeding has always been an issue. So I'm still going to now go back and go, all right, well, this is a good opportunity to revisit. We've taken a break from any kind of like food therapy programs, but maybe visiting with different type of specialists in the field. So I'm going to continue to do that research. But what you were talking about in terms of being great grace, right? Because this is kind of the first step. And you and I have shared this experience, you know, maybe when we were doing the grief episode on other episodes, which is that these kids are different. And we parent, we can't parent these children. Parenting these children isn't like parenting other kids, right? And so we we had to learn to trust professionals to parent our children with us. That's not 
the experience that typically developing kids or parents, you can solely basically depend on your 100% parenting capability to raise your child when you have a typically developing child. When you have a child with autism, the, the, it is, it is life-changing to know that you're going to have to learn to trust other people to help you make decisions for your kid. And at one given point, like I shared with this person yesterday, Rory had a team of 30 people that was like managing a small comprehensive business. And that's what our kids are. Yeah. And at no point are you, has that changed for you? It's just keep taking on new forms. And now you're you're, yes. And you do. And I feel that too. Like Rory last year was went through a whole trial of medications. I know that's not a one and done scenario. He's going to keep growing and we're going to go through those periods again. And it's hard to, and you, and you always are trepidatious too. You don't immediately jump off, you know, jump off the cliff going, um, I see these changes. I'm going to immediately make changes to his meds. You're like, mm, I don't know if this is like a short lift no, 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 no. thing or yeah. whatever. You know, again, it takes this. That's all very carefully. It goes into that. It's just completely different. So you do have to give yourself grace, Brittany, because you're having to expand your ability to parent Austin by collaborating with other individuals that are also just trying to figure it out too, you know? Right. Yeah, they they really are. And it kind of gets to the point where I'll be explaining I'm explaining this medication journey we're on right now. And like, ah, this just, it's it's still not where it's been a week and a half. It's been two weeks and we're just not seeing any changes. And then the the comments I'll get sometimes from very well-meaning people that I trust and love in my life. Well, just call the doctor, just call the doctor and, and tell them, tell them that. And it's like, well, it's, you know what? That's just like the comment of, we'll just get a babysitter. I know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 I understand the, the concept is sound. Yes. I should call the doctor. Um, but <laughs> there are so many layers to that. And some of that is 100% just my own mental capacity. And, you know, I know it's a buzzword, but trauma with calling doctors, explaining a problem to them and them being like, Oh, well, I don't know, you know, either they don't know what to do or they're like, well, let's try this. And then you start a new medication or you change a dose on something and, and then you, you're on this roller coaster ride again. And you're just, you're just repeating these, you know, he, or there's a horrible side effect with this one, you know, and it's like, I've experienced all of those things I just said <laughs> with calling my doctor. So, um, it's, we need to, it, that's just we need to one, earmark that for merch. Call doctor call your doctor it's it's a loaded <laughs> statement right and and you know it, it is still appropriate to do that though so like it's just it's, it's so hard and it, it it's hard for for us parents to um it's it's just a lot it's a lot of mental energy to not only try to make the right choice but then field advice or, or, you know, comments from others that are very well-meaning and sound, but yet have a loaded or extra, there's extra baggage with it all. Um, and it's even, even doctors. Well, this is my favorite is, you know, the, 
well, there's two ways we could go with this. <laughs> you know, you can, like, okay, <laughs> we can go this route and, and they're very good about explaining all of it too. I've, I've got a great team and f- you find people that mesh with you, like just with any relationship and that can explain things in a way that you comprehend it better or understand it. We can go this way because of this pros and cons, this and this and this, or we could go this route. Number two, pros and cons, this and this and this. So what do you think, mom? And I'm like, okay, (laughs) because that ultimately the power should be mine. Right. You know, and it's like, you kind of just want them to say, well, can, what do you think? Like, which one do you, (laughs) you want to pass the buck sometimes? Oh yeah. Um, Because the mental load to be the decision, to make the decisions all the time. I'm coming to you because I want you to make a decision for me. Just tell me what to do. Please. But but at the same time, it's like, then it's so much easier for me to be like, well, you told me to do this. So it's your fault. You <laughs> they know? I know. So they don't want to be totally on the hook. They want to be like, this was a joint decision. Well, I gave you choices. And it should be. It should be. It, you know, we're, we're saying this kind of in joking, but at the same time, it, it is. is. It's, it's, it it's does, tough. But like, it is, it is wearing. It, that's where it does that, that, that mental load piece though is a big part of it. So one of the things, there's two analogies I often like vacillate between, which is when you are traumatized and there's grief, you feel like this soldier of a parent, you just took a bunch of bullet bullets, you're walking out, you're just bleeding out all over the place. Nobody, you're just stoic. You're no one knows, you, you know, you're bleeding, but they're just like, it's fine. I'm wounded. And you're on a raft without an oar and you're trying to get to shore. Okay. That's what, mm-hmm. that's what it'll, that's what it feels like during that time. But when you have all of the things kind of working together, you feel like you have a system. I feel like we are holding together a tension bridge. It's like holding, yeah. making sure all of the wires and whatever are all pr- and rope are all connected appropriately, you know, at all times. However, <laughs> It can feel very unwieldy if one of them is about to snap or break or there's a weather or environmental factor. I feel like that's what it feels like a lot is like it is like this holding this tension in your body and it's draining this energy and you're and then you have to make all these executive decisions and it could be this life changing life altering decision and that you are now the reluctant expert at, you know. Um, yeah. And that's really what it does come down to. I hope that everyone still feels empowered by that, even though I just gave those analogies. I but I'm just explaining the feeling yeah. of it sometimes. Like, that's what it yeah. feels like. And I don't know that the medical professionals know that it feels that way. And I think you and I and our personality types tend to present as over-functioning a lot where it's like, you're totally capable to do, you, you can do this. You're fine. Oh, I 100% do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of women do that, you know, by kind of by default, but yes. Yeah. I think it's really important to, to understand we're, we're just, we're trying, we're just sharing our stories and we're trying to explain these feelings because as women, we tend to connect through that avenue. And if, even if it's not the exact same experience, it won't be. Um, even if it's very, very different, the feelings can be the same. And so we just want you to understand that we get it. We get those feelings, um, whether or not the situation is is similar. So um, I think a way to kind of just wrap this up is, is to just keep in mind that 
we are reluctant experts. I am a very reluctant expert in all of these areas of my life. Even though I went to college and have a degree in this field, this was not what I wished for my personal family necessarily. Like I had no idea this was my, my path uh, to be so, you know, really up close and, you know, front lines with all of this. And, uh, but I will say I am grateful. I am grateful for these experiences in my life. They have shaped me into the person I am today. And I, I like me. I like me. I think I'm a good person. I think I have done really, really well overall with all of this so far. And I think I speak for all four of us, um, even those who aren't on here, that we have all done really, really well. And we are really, because of these experiences and these, these trials and these, I don't know, just, just all of it together. It's, it's been, it's been a journey. I don't know how else to describe it. And we, we are better people for it. We are more compassionate. We are more um, empathetic and we we don't wish this on our children. We wish that we could make it easier and better for them. But but if this is what the hand we've been dealt, we're going to take it and we're going to do the best job we can. And I think we are. And I think you, listener, are too. So just keep that in mind. Um, I do not – this is not something I would voluntarily choose for myself or for my children. I don't know Not that I'd volunteer. I, yeah. I mean, I don't think we would choose it for anyone. No, for anyone, my worst enemy, but that's, that's the kind of humanitarian Not even our worst enemies, <laughs> not even our worst enemies, but our experiences have shaped us, shaped me into the woman I am. And I am grateful and, and happy to be who I am because of, because of what I've gone through. If I hadn't gone through these things, I wouldn't understand this world and another mom at the park with her autistic child, I would, it would be really, really hard to be able to, to understand and to, and to connect, but I can, Oh, can I connect? Um, and it, you can almost see it in someone's eyes when you meet somebody, right? Um, you see another mom and you make eye contact and you're like, I get you, boo. I, I understand. I know, I know what you're going through. And we do. So um, we just want to leave you with that and, and hope that you, you feel that coming through the airwaves <laughs> from our bedrooms. From our bedrooms, <laughs> our closets, wherever it is. Our closets. Um, yes. <laughs> our blanket forts. Yes, our blanket forts. <laughs> whatever it is that cocoons, whatever we wrap ourselves in uh, to, to, to make this podcast all for sound quality. We do it for <laughs> it you. Is, it is all for you because we want you to enjoy what you're hearing. You know, even if it's, if it's hard, I think you totally, yes. you, you saying that definitely is something that I basically said yesterday. Um, in this conversation I was having is if I didn't have this life, I would be walking around blind I'd be yes. walking around blind to these realities. And because I know these realities, I'm able to keep reaching to show up to make it different. You always want to 
it's always, it's just like going to someone's house. You know, you want, you never want to leave it. You want to leave it in a better condition than what you found it. And that's how I feel about the world. That's how I feel about this population, you know, disability as a whole, you know, and it just, it just exposed how bad the systems were around us. And so it makes it, you know, even talking with a parent this week and the parent was saying, well, I always felt this was going on with my kid, but maybe it was my fault because I didn't, it was the way I was explaining it. You're not supposed to know how to explain it. It's the professional's job to dig a little deeper and be a little bit more discerning and also be able to kind of understand or interpret maybe what the parent could be saying. Um, if a certain behavior or situation is a little bit more heightened than the other. So I think parents do need to recognize themselves in this and love themselves for where they are and how far they've come. And even if you're just getting started and you just got a diagnosis, really appreciate where you are right now, because that's a huge, enormous step. That was probably that. Yeah. That wasn't something that just was like happened a month ago, meaning like, oh, we kind of thought this was going on and we did that. This was, this stuff happens over time. This happens over time. Yeah. It's not like, I, I, and I'm sure, and we would maybe ever have to have a guest on to have this conversation is for a child that when a parent knows their child's going to be born with a disability, mm-hmm. they're I've had those conversations with those parents through Texas parent to parent, you know, and them going into parenting at that point and through pregnancy, they were mentally preparing for, for things when you've had a child and it's not something immediately identified and identified over time. Like it's just a different, it's a different different. experience and a different journey. So appreciate where you are, appreciate the kind of human you're going to be, how, this does enrich your life, even if it's hard. It does. So I don't know. Any peaks, Brittany, any peaks that you want to share? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Peaks, peaks, peaks. Um, I have, I have some exercise and some fitness goals I've been working on for myself to improve all aspects of my life, physical and other, you know, adjacent, uh, mental and all those things. And, uh, I've been working really hard and I've been really consistent. It has not been easy, but, um, I'm trying to keep things, uh, obtainable and reasonable, right? Like, um, what's the word? Reasonable is not the right word, but you know what I mean? Like I'm not pushing it so hard that I can't you're, achieve these goals. I want to make them you're achievable. You're being appropriately ambitious. There we go. Oh, I like that. <laughs> appropriately ambitious. So, uh, yes, um, I, my goal for my exercise is to just close my exercise ring on my, my watch, right? I have a little, little tracker on my watch that does steps and all of that. And I have it set to a certain number every day. And I'm just trying to close that ring. That's all I'm trying to do. It doesn't matter what the exercise is. It doesn't matter how hard it is. And I have done that consistently, for the entirety of this month. And my goal is to get it through, you know, to a certain, I think I'm going to do three, at least three months. Um, 
every single day, something moving my body. And I have been successful so far and I'm trying to create that habit and, and it's working. So I'm just going to pat myself on the back and call that a win and a peak. It's a peak for this week. And you know, that's awesome. Yes. And I commend you for that. That is amazing, especially, you know, just in the current climate, you know, it's so important to focus on yourself. So my peak, my peak, my peak is that even why things have continued to be challenging in my personal life, um, the village that keeps showing up around me um, in any capacity, in many different capacities, whether it is actually to help and take care of my kids in my absence or, or lack of just, you know, ability to be able to to do something because I have another obligation. Um, But just kind of bridging the gaps as I move forward. uh, I, I know that that is the biggest blessing of all and why I don't have the monetary wealth (laughs) that I desire. I am, I am wealthy in that aspect And for that, I am forever, forever grateful. And I have to commend myself because I can tell you that the past couple days have been really, really hard. And I was thinking for the, I really have kept a perspective of, of light at the end of the tunnel, you know, what the end goal is, the life after divorce and, but I was not feeling that optimism at all. In fact, quite the opposite of that, thinking that I just can't do this anymore. It's getting harder. And somebody reminded me of right when it's the hardest, right when it's the hardest, that's when you just be patient because that's when the next door will open, you know, and be being reminded of that. And so again, that's also abundance to be able to have someone there at that time, be able to tell me that why I'm what's happening between my ears is that, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I'm losing. I'm, you know, I'm bottoming, bottoming out. I can't get ahead. Like all of that negative talk. Um, and so, and I should maybe also say that the reason just so the, our audience knows, cause we talked about how divorce would here. I'm not the reason for our divorce. We may have some overlapping influence over it is not because I have a disabled child that things are much more complicated than that. And so, um, I think that's a that, good point. Yes. That this is a different situation. It's important yeah. to mention that, you know, and we can have those other conversations in future episodes. Sure. But at this for the sake of this episode and because that kind of came up um and I'm currently going through divorce, I just wanted to clarify that for anyone listening. But um so yeah. yeah, I think I think Thank Brittany you. and I our peaks are about personal development. <laughs> and, and that's okay. Uh, our own well-being and it's not always just about our kids winning but our kids win because we win yeah so all right if if you like our podcast or you like this episode make sure that you are following us actively and subscribing to our podcast and whatever podcast player you're listening to and as as always we want your feedback we want the reviews because those reviews help 
other people like yourselves find this podcast, who many of our views are indicate that this has been vital to their own, you know, mental health and well-being and um, use us as a, as a resource. So you want to expand that. So for those that do do that, thank you so much and keep them coming. So until next time, yes. we love you. Thanks for listening and being here today. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye guys.